I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to It's All Kicking Off. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture Football, joined by Adam Cleary and Simon Gallagher from What Culture Football to discuss all the goings on. Now the Premier League is finally back. Um, an exciting night last night. We saw uh, Man City steamroll Arsenal with a bit of help from David Luiz and some major controversy in the nil-nil draw between Aston Villa and Sheffield United. Controversy 45 minutes after the Premier League returned with a goal, no goal for Sheffield United. Uh, Adam Cleary, how do you feel now football is back? And let's start with the Hawkeye goal line technology controversy. What did you make of it? I, I just want to say 100 days, 100 days it was between the last game in the Premier League and the first, this was the first one back under Project Restart. And I think for all that the expectation was built up, for all football is like the, the, the most important, not important thing in the entire world right now. I don't think you could have written a more Premier League return for it. Like the first game back being a dour nil-nil surrounded in technological controversy. And then the second game just being an absolute like whoopsie noise by Arsenal as Manchester City just look incredible again. Um, I'm so, I just want to say I'm so happy it's back. I didn't think I've been very much against the idea of it returning. I thought they should have just wound up all the leagues the same way they've done it across Europe. But now that it is back and it looks to be being done with every available precaution, I am very happy, but not as happy as I was to see Sheffield United done by technology for a second time this season. That is, they must if they end up missing out on a European place because of either John Joe Shelby getting to just walk the ball into the net because their entire <laughs> team would stop playing, or because somehow Hawkeye had the exact the exact correct alignment of people to obscure the view. Rubbish, by the way. Um, I just, it just, I don't know, for a team with the Union Jack flags all over their kit to be denied entry into the continent would be <laughs> ironic. My favourite thing is I heard some people say, oh, well, you see what's happened there is he's kind of fallen into the net, but the ball has always maintained contact with the post and therefore it could have been a goal. And then two seconds later, someone tweets a photo where there's clear daylight uh, in between the ball and the post and the line. Simon, what did you think of it all? It had the exact same sort of energy as when Stephen Taylor handballed on the line and then pretended that he'd been hit in the ribs and broken his ribs. And then immediately got up and went, ah, fair enough, I've been sent off. Um, I think it's it's outrageous. The, the statement that came out afterwards was that 
all seven cameras had been somehow magically occluded, which is another one of those words that have come out of lockdown that everybody will now use. How, how, quickly did, how quickly did you Google occluded last night? <laughs> yeah. um, but the thing that wasn't occluded was the eyeballs of the human beings involved who should have seen it. And then for, for them not to even go to VAR when they had those like 69 seconds open nice. to VAR, like, you know, it's just, it's ludicrous. But like, like he says, the narrative of Chris Wilder sitting in his dressing room afterwards, positively on Alan Brazil colours, it's just hilarious. It's it's unfortunate, and I wish Aston Villa hadn't got a point because I've got loads of anxiety about being Newcastle fan. Uh, but it's 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 a nice one to have to talk about. It was it was mad to hear people saying, "Oh well, it turns out you know when they got into the dressing room, uh, Michael Oliver's checks his watch, and they said actually it probably was a goal." And you might be who were saying like, "Oh, that'll help Chef United." Then that's that's good to know. Yeah. At least. I'm sorry, but absolutely under I, I I've never worn one of these watches. I don't profess to know anything about the technology, but I will categorically tell the pair of you right now: there is no setting on that referee's watch that says, "Yeah, it probably was a goal." <laughs> actually, what well, it probably was, yeah. What do you make to the argument then? Because like like Simon alluded to there, okay, so goal line technology wasn't working or was obstructed or occluded or whatever you want to call it. And even if you make the argument of the linesman didn't want to give it because they've developed a reliance upon technology, what do you make of the, the VAR argument here? Well, what I will say is I think people are forgetting that the whole point of goal line technology and VAR is not to make the decisions, it's to assist the officials in making the decisions. Now, the reason goal line technology exists is because it was brought in when a number of goal line incidents happened, which were, you know, either human errors or things that were really difficult to call in the moment. Like everyone goes back to Frank Lampard's thing and forgets that the linesman was sprinting back at the time and it bounced, like, you know, it didn't bounce into the net, it bounced straight back out. So these things, these mistakes are part of the game and do happen. And I genuinely would challenge anybody to go and stand on the touchline, watch that incident back, and be able to call that. Like, it was incredibly difficult. If the technology does fail them, well, that's unfortunate. But these decisions are there not to make the decision. Sorry, this technology is there not to make the decision. It's there to assist with the decision. Um, I don't know why they didn't go to VAR, because it was clearly, clearly looked a bit suspect. But if the officials didn't see it go over the line, they've got no reason to refer that, because... Obviously, the Sheffield United players were going to say it was over the line. Of course they would. Like, they wanted to go in. And of course, the Villa players would be, ah, no, 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 no. Ah, they go, they go over. So, I don't know. It's just, these things happen. I think they need to, whatever procurement it was that stopped them calling that, they need to fix. But these things do happen in football. Uh, I want to move on from this as much as the Premier League do, probably. But two things I want to note. First of all, the fact that Ollie McBurney didn't even protest. He just celebrated because he thought, oh, well, that's obviously going to be giving us a goal. And the second was the arguments that I heard from some Aston Villa friends of mine who said, no, I think there was a there was probably a foul on the goalkeeper in the build-up. And it was Aston player who pushed him. So ridiculous. Uh, one of the other most talked about things after yesterday's games, aside from David Luiz, and don't worry, we will get to him, uh, was the artificial crowd noise. On some channels, you could uh, have it. Uh, obviously, they've, they've even developed ways you can even select what crowd noise or chants and stuff you want to hear, potentially. Um and sometimes you could just listen with just the commentary team, which was kind of surreal. I quite liked it, Simon Gallagher. I thought it really added a sense of atmosphere, but I know some fans were not big fans of it, ironically. Yeah, I watched 
part of the second game with no sound or uh, no crowd noise on, and it was not. It's just not right. It's like Uncanny Valley sort of. It's like watching a friendly at the very start of the summer friendly um, period when it's, like, it makes it seem like it doesn't matter in a way. Um, some of the crowd noise was a little bit daft, but it is very much just about atmospheric and it, and it helps. It made me not look at the stands, which would have made the game seem like a lot more strange. Um, it would have been nice to have some comedy noises thrown in something like that mix it up a little bit but yeah I, I, I won't be watching any of the matches with no sound on because it's just not right doesn't doesn't go in my head probably Terry what do you think of it all the technology's not there yet boys that's the problem everybody's missing with all of this like yeah they've got they've got the generic ball in play noise yes they've got the generic home team scores noise the away team scores noise they've got sky even had a button for rounds of applause on substitution yeah. a nice touch but people forget how nuanced the football crowd is like do they have a noise there for when the ball appears to have gone out of play but it hasn't so the 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 uh the anger from the crowd builds up while at the same time there's concern. They haven't got that. Do they have the gentle applause for a back pass, but a gentle applause for a back pass at the end of the game when the team really should be going forward. So it's kind of a back pass with groans built into it. Football crowds, you cannot do them on a on a sound um, board. They don't, they don't work a, like that. There's another one as well. Clearly, you'll appreciate this noise. One game at Newcastle, St. James's Park, Hatem Ben Arthur trapped a ball that must have been 40 foot up in the air yeah. and the crowd went... Oh, ah, all at once. <laughs> it was like a, the most magical noise I've ever heard in a football stadium. I don't think I've ever heard it again, but they should do that for like when um, David Luiz falls over himself or something. <laughs> something like that. I do think that, yeah, it, it, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Cleary. There was surreal moments when they, 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 I think they even had a moment where someone has a shot and it hits the side netting. And as the commentators would say, or half the ground thought that was in. They almost had that at one point. I'm not sure if they had anyone calling the referee a knobhead, uh, whether or not they need to sort of look into their archives to get that. But yeah, I would take, whilst it is kind of disjointed, as you said, Cleary, I would take just some sort of ambience to, in the background so I can, you know, in a dull game like we had to, to kick things off, check my phone and still feel like I'm watching football mm. rather than just... Two commentators, it's noise, isn't it? That's it's background noise, mm. which is. I mean, I watched both games yesterday, and I paid a lot more attention for obvious reasons. Paid a lot more attention to the second game than to the first game. And just when you're milling about doing things, and football's finally back on in your house, it was. Yeah, it, it felt much better to have a bit of crowd noise, even if it was artificial. I wouldn't have liked to have been folding the washing while just listening to twenty-two blokes shout, "No, touch, 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 touch <laughs> on him, on him, on him." Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um. We saw a great deal of new rules uh, as well introduced, the five substitutions, the drinks breaks. Uh, is yeah, that just something fans are going to have to get used to, Cleary? Uh, well, to be fair, I think some of these are quite a good idea. The drinks breaks thing worked quite well. It didn't seem, it didn't feel like it interfered with the game too much. Um, I think the problem with the Man City Arsenal game was obviously the horrendous injury suffered at the end. That really did seem to break things up. But prior to that, you hadn't really noticed it with the drinks breaks. Uh, I think giving the extra substitutions, but only still allowing three substitution breaks to be made is a smart idea. Um, I think social distancing all the commentators so they can't get too pally-pally and start chatting with each other rather than commentating on the games. One of the best pluses in all of this. Um, <laughs> Did you see the um, the video that emerged of Martin Tyler where he's got no yeah, head? I've seen this, right? I've, just, I've seen this, right? <laughs> What's this? Gary Neville. So Gary Neville and Martin Tyler are sitting on the commentary platform, <laughs> right? And it's zooming in on them. And Gary Neville sat there, you can see him. But then Martin Tyler, without a head, is sat next to him. And I watched this the first time and I was like, that's weird. But you look back, all that's happened is Gary Neville has put his coat on the chair <laughs> next to him. Martin, it is, Tyler, it isn't Martin Tyler has to social distance. He's going to be a good six metres or so, or like six seats down the row from him. But it's just the fact that Gary Neville's put a jacket on this chair. And he, and Martin and he appears Tyler's to be talking to the jacket as well. It's just, it's quite, if you haven't seen it yet, it's all over Twitter, so do check that out. It's oh, very I, funny. I didn't know about this. I'm going to have to go and check that out. I love that. But yeah, I, I, I agree. The drinks break seems like the right thing to do. There was, you know, a certain sense that certain players were off the pace. I mean, we saw so many injuries quite early on for mm-hmm. Arsenal, for example. Uh, and the five substitutions is to kind of deal with that, isn't it, Si? Because it's almost like the season's, in terms of player fitness, starting all over again. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It's slightly unfortunate that the three... As much as I do agree that changing the rules too much is, is, a, is a bad idea and having three sets of substitutions is probably right. It's a shame because they both ended up with 10 men at the end of that game because they had no opportunity to bring another player on. And it should, like, it's common sense that that might have been, like, the best time to slightly relax that rule. But then it's the first game, so you can't, well, the second game, so you can't really do that. Um, it, it suits teams that have a lot more depth then teams like, let's go Newcastle again, because it's the easiest. I'll stop, I'll stop you there. I'll, st- I'll stop you there. Whilst compiling some of the uh, answers for yesterday's incredible return of the Premier League quiz, uh, Newcastle have actually got one of the biggest squads in the entire league. Yes, but when I talk about depth, I mean in terms of quality, <laughs> not in terms ah, of numbers. <laughs> ah, well, let me stop you there then, Simon, because Newcastle have a <laughs> squad in the Premier League. Yes. So it's, it's good for teams like Chelsea, who have 940 players they can call on. Whereas 
once you get past three subs in the Newcastle game, you don't want Steve Bruce to bring on anybody else. Sometimes asking Steve Bruce to bring on two players is too many. So, I mean, it's good across the board, but it's not for not for everyone. Uh, right, you've been good long enough now. Let's talk about the fun stuff. David Luiz, uh, a man whose performance was so bad last night, he caused Phil Jones's name to trend. It was a surreal <laughs> experience. Um, it was nice to see it. everyone made this joke of like, you know, so many things are different. So many things have changed because of the ongoing global bastard. And yet some things never change, Adam Cleary. Look, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here for a moment, right? We saw in that game a lot of players weren't at the races. Either their fitness was wrong or just a lot of things didn't look quite right. Now, when you're a centre-back, and when you're a centre-back with a reputation, these things are always magnified a lot worse than they actually are. It was a terrible first touch. I will say Raheem Sterling had missed two better chances than the one he scored prior to that. And if he ballooned that one over the bar or gone to Lob Leno, you probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. And I actually think... I know how the double jeopardy rule rule works, and I know he has to make an attempt to win the ball in order to not be sent off. But I think, given you could even see the way the commentators uh, were talking about it, they were quite surprised to see him get sent off there. So I think on another night, David Luis gives away a penalty, and that's it really in a game where they get beat comprehensively anyway. I don't. People like to make players who get a reputation. People always like to zone in on things and make them seem like they're absolutely catastrophic. But David Luis has. You know, you look where the guy's been and the stuff he's won and the kind of transfer fees he's commanded. He's not considered the joke in football that I think a lot of English football fans like to think that he is. Like, he had a bad game last night, but he had a bad game in the sense that the mistakes he made were punished as harsh as they could be, either by the referee or by his opponents. There will be players in what remains of this season put in worse performances than that and not get Phil Jones's name trending. So... Yeah, hilarious. Don't get me wrong. The fact that there have been no goals in the Premier League return thus far, and then they brought on David Luiz. I was licking my lips just the same as everybody else was. But I just think people are like, oh, well, he's he'll never play for Arsenal again. That's the last you'll see of him in the Premier League. Just don't get carried away with it. The funny thing after the game was that uh, Luiz was interviewed and he said, that he wants to stay at Arsenal and Arteta wants him to stay at Arsenal, which would be music to Arsenal fans right at that point at the end of the game. <laughs> it's It was the most Arsenal thing I've ever seen, that, I think. It's, you know, people saying, oh, it could be a good time to play City, you know, you have this break. And and I, I, I did a podcast yesterday and said, oh, if you look at the table, if Arsenal gets some sort of result against City, which obviously, yes, is a long shot, they're pushing for the... Not pushing for the title, but they're you know pushing to to take Liverpool as far as they possibly can. They get a result; they're right in amongst the top four, five, where they could push for a Champions League spot. And then, well, then it happened, really. Um, so let's let's move on from specifically the David Luiz performance and the the ongoing conversation of who is worse, David Luiz or Phil Jones, Simon Gallagher. I do have a point that links back to what he did yesterday, and it isn't. It isn't like it's unprecedented. That's the problem for David Luiz. He's given away four penalties this season. He's been sent off twice in the process of doing that, both of them for pulling the player back. And all four of those penalties were effectively him chasing a player who'd just done him and just pulling them over to the ground or half of them in the box. It's not like that's... Obviously, there's some allowance for things like professional fouls, but those are 
idiotic penalties to give away. Every single one of them, they're not accidental or anything like that. Would you, not, the, um, would you not say maybe, though, if he's given away four penalties in near-identical situations, then the problem becomes, to an extent, that managers aren't addressing a weakness in his game or he's being played in a system that leaves him vulnerable to that? Uh, the, the system that leaves him vulnerable is him being on the pitch, I think. <laughs> I don't. I, do, I think he's, he will have lost a lot of these, any Arsenal fans who would stick up for him based on that. And it's not like he had a bad game. He had a bad 22 minutes. He didn't even make... A half game. 22 he was, wasn't he? That's that's you, of like something like he got sent off once every hundred games for Chelsea, and it's every thirteen for Arsenal. It's honestly jaw dropping. Uh, so, Clary, what do you make of it? Who's worse, David Luiz, Phil Jones? Phil Jones is I, I, this is what, It's just such a weird argument to say who's the worst defender, this bad defender or this bad defender. Like David Luiz has been all over the world. He's played for some of the biggest clubs. He's won things pretty much everywhere he's been. He had, under Antonio Conte, David Luiz looked like one of the steadiest defenders you've ever seen in the Premier League where he played in that back three. Possibly because he was asking to do very un-David Luiz things, but that's by the by. Like, he just, he, as Simon said, he had an absolutely shocking 22 minutes, which punctuates a really bad season by his standards. Phil Jones is somebody who has never quite managed to get to the level. Like all this talk about him being the new Duncan Edwards or something when he signed for Manchester United, it's just never quite clicked for him. His, his footballing brain's never quite caught up with how sort of like physically impressive he is when he plays. It's just the man is accident prone. He He's just, he's never, I'll put it this way, right? David Luiz at his worst is worse than Phil Jones, but Phil Jones at his best has never been anywhere near David Luiz. I saw a lot of Man United fans quoting statistics saying that Phil Jones was far yeah. better and uh, he was just sort of blighted by injuries. Do you think it's fair side to say that they're both, you know, improved dramatically by having a reliable defender alongside them? And when they are the sort of talismanic defender, that's when they really seem to suffer. Or certainly more so for Phil Jones, I'd say. Easily, yeah. The, a partner goes a long way in, in terms of uh, centre-backs. Like Adam said, when... Louise was playing in the three. He had two he could rely on to make him look better. Um, I don't think he's a bad player. Like, I agree that at his best, he's way better than Phil Jones. Statistics be damned. Man, you haven't won anything for ages. Statistics don't mean anything unless you win something. Um, no offence to all the Man U fans, I've probably just triggered. Um, look, at the end of the day, they're both in that bracket of calamity defenders. And we all love a calamity defender because they give us something to talk about. Uh, we had one, Titus Bramble, who was a good player when he had somebody next to him. But when he didn't, he looked like the worst player on the pitch. It's just the same as those two. If you put too much pressure on the shoulders and they've got nobody to share that with, he'll more often than not do something that makes them look like a clown. It's not like they make little mistakes. They make massive, catastrophic, the ball ends up in the back of the net mistakes. That's, a, that's what we love about calamity defenders. Just had a memory of Jean Alain Boom's song, and a shiver went down my spine as we said <laughs> that. Um, let's wrap up here then. Uh, obviously, as you said, a sensational performance by Manchester City. Very interesting to see what they prioritise going forward. Obviously, they can win the Champions League this season, but they will not be in it next season. No. Uh, and they seem to have solidified, obviously, uh, that top four, five, well, second place really spot. Uh, with only nine games remaining. Instead, I want to talk about uh, Aston Villa. It was a decent point for them, even if arguably they shouldn't probably have it. Ha- had it. Uh, it takes them 26 points. There are 
Two teams, three teams even above them on 27 points, West Ham, Watford and Bournemouth. Brighton are on 29. I think you can kind of draw the line after that. Southampton and above with 34 points plus. Probably won't be caught, but although everything's unpredictable now. Can Aston Villa survive the drop, Simon Gallagher? I worry about them slightly. They actually could have won yesterday when Davis did a gaza and just missed the ball as it came across an open goal. It was like agonising. Um, had that gone in, it might have been slightly different. One point is pretty good for them. But in their in their final games, they've got Chelsea, Wolves, Liverpool, Manu, Arsenal to play. You don't get. I don't think they get points from any of those games unless the post-lockdown period of football is like absolute banter era, which it could possibly be. Um, and then they've also got West Ham, which is a massive game considering where they are in relation to them. They've got Everton, Palace and Newcastle, which are like more achievable games for them. But if they go and lose two or three of the bigger games in a row, then they're going to struggle really badly. Um, they've got some really good players. Jack Willish is an incredible player. He spends too much time on the floor, but that's just what happens these days. Um, but I, wor I worry about them. It's very bunched at the bottom, but it's just that those fixtures. It's just just bad, bad news. Clary, who's your money on to, to go down and to stay up? See, I keep changing my mind over this over and over again because I think it's probably... F Manchester City not being in the Champions League next year and potentially fifth getting you into the Champions League when you've got teams like Sheffield United and Wolves who are all still, as we, as it stands above like your Tottenham's and your Arsenal's, is fascinating. But I think if you look at the run-in, sort of those bottom... Like, if we can sort of safely say Norwich have gone, then Villa, Bournemouth, Watford, and even West Ham, they've all got really tough games. I think all of them play over half their games are against the current top eight. Um, so that's going to be really, really difficult. I worry for Bournemouth the most because I think for all they've been, you know, people like them as a side that plays football the right way for all they've been very easy to support. And they've always, they always get more out of the team of players than perhaps you'd expect them to scoring goals has been a real issue for them this season. Ryan Fraser is not going to play for them again. Now Dominic Solanke hasn't got all the goals they were expecting him to, and they have never exactly been watertight. Their run of fixtures looks particularly daunting, but West Ham is really interesting to me because they're on 27 points as well and their tough games all kind of come in a bunch right at the start of all this. And if they don't hit the ground running, they could genuinely find themselves with a massive uphill struggle with those last couple of games. And hang on, I've just got their fixtures up here. Their last game of the season is against Aston Villa. They've got Watford, Norwich and Aston Villa in the last three of their last four games. So depending on how they get on against Wolves, Tottenham, Chelsea... Newcastle and Manchester United, they could they could really struggle. And for West Ham to go down with everything done with the stadium, the investment, having a squad, everything like that would be, you would imagine, catastrophic. Mm. Well, exciting times ahead. It's great to have the Premier League back. It's great to have what culture football back. Do let us know your thoughts in the comment section. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. You can let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureFC. Watch there, follow all three of us. You can follow Adam Cleary at... Adam Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y. You can follow Simon Gallagher on Twitter at... At Cy Gallagher. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture FC, as I mentioned. And if you want daily football podcasts, just search for What Culture Football wherever you get your podcasts from. But this has been It's All Kicking Off. My thanks to Adam Cleary and to Simon Gallagher. Thank you for joining us. and We will see you soon. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.